Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Lucy Talks. I'm your host Lucy Woodward and I'm so excited to have you listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. conversations about things that really matter in life from climate change to confidence from mental health to happiness i hope this podcast helps you find something you're looking for hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast welcome to this week's episode of lucy talks so today i have a really cool guest on the podcast his name is marcus stewart and he's really involved with the transition to net zero especially with making a whole energy system really renewable so he works for the department of business energy and industrial strategy which is also known as bays um, which is like a department within the government He's had like years of experience at National Grid and at the moment he's working on a project called Green Grids Initiative and he's also been at COP27 so we basically spoke about the international efforts to combat climate change and all of the different ways that we can work together internationally to really make a difference and it was such an interesting conversation. We spoke about the role of communication and kind of experiences of feeling overwhelmed and how to kind of like manage that and stay hopeful he shared some of his experiences at cop 27 and why it's so important to get so many world leaders together and it was yeah a really really cool conversation i think one of my key takeaways is the difference between independence dependence and interdependence and yeah i really liked his perspectives on that so thank you so much marcus for coming on and i'll let you enjoy the episode so enjoy Hi Marcus, how are you doing today? Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hi Lucy, I'm, I'm doing great, thank you. Really Amazing. busy, but you know, great. Amazing. So I thought to kind of like get to know each other a little bit, or to get to know you specifically, we could start with a little bit of a quick fire round. So I'm just going to give you a series of options and just your immediate response is is all we need really. So just whatever you think is your answer. Does that sound all right? Okay, let's go for it. Okay, yeah. sure. So, tea or coffee? Coffee at the moment. Uh, cool. Coffee, yeah. Mornings or evenings? Uh, I'm more of a mornings person, yeah, definitely. Me too. Running or cycling? Uh, it's got to be cycling. I can see the bike behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, introvert or extrovert? Uh, I'm a, I'm an introvert, but mm. I, yeah, I'm an introvert, but uh, I do a lot. I do a lot of public speaking, so that's kind mm. of a bit weird, but yeah. Ideas or action? Oh, that's a good one, actually. Uh, I, I'm going to have to go 50-50 on that one. Mm-hmm. I like ideas, but one of the things I'm known for is like pushing for action as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to go 50-50. Best of both worlds. Um, <laughs> being in your 20s or being in your 30s? <laughs> I can't remember either. Uh, <laughs> 30s were pretty, uh, yeah, I think 30s maybe, yeah. Nice. Um, books or films? uh hmm. books cool and the final one cop 26 or cop 27 <laughs> it's got to be cop 27 because i didn't go to cop 26 okay <laughs> <laughs> love it um so i thought we could maybe start by chatting about your work as the lead of the green good i can't say this green grids initiative um so what does this project entail and what's your involvement with it Sure. 
So Green Grids Initiative, or G- you say GGI. It's that it's sounds better. <laughs> um, so it was launched at COP26 by Prime Ministers of the UK, Johnson and uh, Modi of India. And really what it's seeking out to do is accelerate the deployment of uh, grids because um, they're, they're absolutely fundamental for bringing renewable energy um, to market and to customers. But just to give you an idea, um, between now and 2030, we need to triple the amount of money that's spent on grids if we're to keep one and a half degrees on track. So that's, that's you know, currently it's about $260 billion per year are spent upgrading and extending grids. So that needs to rise to $820 billion by 2030. And, and, and if you can't get the grids in place, you're not going to be able to get the renewable energy, the solar or the wind to the places where it's needed. And, and so you, you won't have an energy transition. So it's fundamental and really not many people are looking at it or thinking about it in that way. So we, we're really trying to raise the profile of it, but also working particularly in developing countries, working out how they can deliver those grids and how they can connect between countries as well. Because um, you know, as uh, Prime Minister Modi says, you know, the sun is always shining somewhere and if you can connect that solar energy around the world, you know, you've got this abundant source of low carbon energy that, that can be shared throughout humanity. That's the kind of the grand vision. And, and to do that, you need big wires to connect it, really. And, you know, and it's you know, sort of exciting projects out there that are doing that. And, and our job is really to help them get established, um, share learning between different countries and different organisations. So um, people are learning quicker and de- deploying things quicker. And, and allowing that to, to happen and, and trying to sort of ramp it up, you know, mm. in, in the next few years. So by the time we get to 2030, we're in with a chance of, you know, getting on track or staying on track to uh, you know, defeat or, or avoid, you know, massive climate change issues. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I think having looked on the website, I think the fact that it's such a collaborative project really comes across and, I really like the fact that it's so many different countries, so many organisations working together. So what would you say, you kind of touched on it there, but what would you say is the importance of international collaboration in achieving net zero and meeting our climate change goals? Um, it's absolutely fundamental. I mean, the you know, nobody has all the answers. Mm. That's the thing. You know, no, no country, no organisation has got all the answers, but if we can share that knowledge on, on this, you know, this grand challenge, which is, you know, trying to, decarbonize our energy system um you know we could all learn faster so collaboration is key you know we're working with organizations in the us australia africa asia pacific region you know we've got european um, countries and organizations helping us as, as you alluded to you know and you know with all that that collaboration if you know something works well somewhere we can help rapidly share that uh, and, and that's and that's part of it um, and so i think you know uh, is, 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 a, is a phrase, I can't remember who, who said it now, but like, if you want to go quickly, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's mm. that's it. We actually want to go together, but we want to go quickly as well. So I'll try to try to sort of work out how we do that. But, <laughs> um, you know, the UK, in fact, is pretty well advanced in its um, journey on, on decarbonizing its electricity system. So we have actually got quite a lot of good experience to share, but it's taken us many, many years to get there. And you know, we could take that learning and say, instead of taking 30 years to have gone this far, you know, you could do it in 10 years or, or, or five years if you, if you 
take this learning from what we've done. Mm. Uh, and, and that's and that's kind of one of the sort of the principles and you know approaches that we're taking is you know, sharing that learning really. Yeah. And is that something that you've been involved with? I know that you've worked at the National Grid for quite a few years. Was that something you were involved with there or like has that experience then helped you in the current role that you're in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, prior to joining uh, uh, the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy or BASE, um, yeah, I was leading um, you know, some big pieces of work within National Grid. And one of them was our, what we called our future energy scenarios, which set out potential pathways for the energy system for, for the, the, the Great, Brit- Great Britain market and you know identified you know what the energy mix might be you know the uptake of electric vehicles and uh, low carbon heating and things like that and then worked out what the electricity system and the gas system and other systems needed to do to then you know make that happen and and so so yes I've been involved in this this area for sort of 10 10 12 years really in, in terms of looking at the future and working out what we should be doing and I'm just now doing some doing this similar but different but on a, on, a, on a global scale. So, you know, from a personal point of view, it's, you know, it's, it's mm. super exciting and, you know, super, super purposeful as well, really, which uh, yeah. boxes for me. Exactly. And I know that you went to COP27, as you mentioned at the start. So what was your experience in going there, maybe from a personal point of view, and also just like, what was your role that, that you were doing? Like, what were you doing? Yeah, there? I mean, it was, it was, you know, it's a huge event. I think about 7,000 people mm. uh, descended on Sharm El Sheikh, over the two weeks, I was literally there for about two and a half days. So I literally flew in, did a whole bunch of meetings uh, and events, and then uh, stayed stayed the two nights, and then then was off, was off again. So it was it was it was pretty intense, um, but it was great. I mean, you know, I was supporting the UK Minister for Climate uh, Climate uh, uh, at, at a couple of events, and you know, talking about the work that we're doing and some other energy transition work that we've been doing within within Bayes and how we've been helping other countries and, and gaining support for you know some of the activities like the um, the Parry Pass Coal Alliance which is one of the big things that you know some of my colleagues are working on in the same department um, so it was great to have those events and, and really sort of highlight the work that we're doing I mean what I found most useful is I mean it's like it's, it's like a huge trade show with countries telling you what they're doing it's going and speaking to different countries and, and different organizations and, and just making really good connections and I came away with a whole bunch of leads for furthering the work that we're doing mm. uh, and I also got to spend some time actually uh, being a host at the UK pavilion so we had our own stand and I was, I was on the reception mm. desk for, for a couple of hours you know a day and it was just great fun because people were just coming up and asking you the weirdest wackiest questions and some of them we had great conversations other people were looking for like you know have you got any pencils or you know which way are the toilets and things like that so it was a a whole mixture of things but you know I found it a really really useful experience really and uh you know I had a lot of follow-on um leads and conversations from it that's enabled me to help my project in particular and also connect other people to other parts of things that the UK government are doing Uh, Mm. so yeah it was yeah it was good and uh yeah it was can't really tell you too much about the resort or anything like that yeah. most of the time in 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 cop um and standing on my feet you know and talking uh-huh. to people but it's great that's cool i think so something that i've heard people say is that oh why do we need people to kind of fly into one place and should we just do these kind of conferences on zoom if we're thinking it, thinking about it from a climate perspective but then the point that you just said about 
the conversations that you'd had that you wouldn't necessarily have had without the kind of physical interaction and you know just those spontaneous occurrences of meeting people I feel like that wouldn't happen if it was a an a online conference yeah no no I agree I mean it's, it's, it's a real it's a tricky balance because there is that you know there's a lot of you know it's a lot of CO2 burn mm. people going there you know you, you can't deny that um but what what I found you know I spend a lot of my time on Teams calls and Zoom yeah. calls because I'm working with people across the world um and that's great but actually when you spend some real time with them um and I you know we did a, an event before Christmas in Bangkok and I was there for for the week and you know meeting with people I've been speaking to over, over the year and, and some other people and but we're getting some really intense conversations about various things you know we made so much progress mm. in those conversations that you don't in in the you know the one hour teams call and you know where people are still doing their emails while you're talking to them you know all that kind of stuff so yeah. you know there is value in it but you've got to get that balance right you know you, you shouldn't be flying around everywhere but you know I think certainly getting the right people together at the right time you can you know that's where the magic happens and it's the conversations in between the structured stuff that actually mm. is is the, is the value sometimes yeah absolutely so in terms of your like leadership skills and you mentioned your public speaking as well how would you say that um, that's developed over time in maybe your, your personal life and also in your career? How have you kind of gained confidence in that in order to speak at these big conferences like COP26 or COP27? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's a good one. I mean, you know, I started doing the public speaking stuff. Like I said when I probably started on the on the future of energy stuff uh, and I was just like part of my job was you've got to get up there and talk about this stuff and, mm. and get people interested in it and and so you know I, when I, when I, you know, do what you do you go on a course and uh do, do a bit of training and do a bit of practice and and it is just practice um and you know the first time I did it I was at the uh it was an event at the National Exhibition Centre and I was following the Bay's chief scientist um uh, and he was and he, he and I he was presenting something and I got a disagreement with it. So I was following somebody who I knew was going to listen to me and then disagree with what I said. <laughs> so I was super nervous about that. Um, but it was fine. And, you know, I got through it and, you know, you, it's, it's practice. Um, and, you know, you, you, if you know your stuff, you, you know, you're, you're standing up there standing. You say, actually, I know more about this than the people who are listening. I mean, yeah. what I know you know, you might feel really nervous about it, but they don't know. They don't know better, any better. So, you know, you've always got that. You keep that kind of in your mind. So I know I know what I'm going to say more than you do. Yeah, and you just practice it. And, uh, yeah, we've, I've done a lot of practice. So, and, and my wife will tell you, you know, some of the, you know, I used to do quite a few big events, the National Grid. Mm. And I'd be practicing as well in the mirror and things like that, you know, and trying to get, you know, you go stop waving your arms and you know keep your keep your hands still and things like that you know because you get excited about things and yeah you know kind of you know look at yourself in the mirror it's horrible or film yourself that's even worse but you know <laughs> if you do this you, you, know, you, you just get into it you know but it just takes a bit of time but like yeah. anything it's a, it's a learned skill you know so yeah. mm, for sure I guess like each time you do it you have a little bit more evidence of when you've done it before and you can do it the next time kind of thing exactly exactly and, and the important thing is as well is to find your own style you know so some people are very comfortable sort of ab, ab living and, and just you know give me give me five bullet points and I'll talk around it and I'm kind of like that other people need a 
you know they want a speech a completely mm. structured speech I know when I've done presentations and then my team has said oh can I use that presentation or oh, where's your notes that go with it I said well there aren't any and, well how am I going to do it you know <laughs> I'm gonna, well, I, I just do it you know because that you know that's the way I do it I, I, I'll make some bullets or something like that and then I'll talk around it whereas other people I say but, you know they need they need to know exactly every single word they're going to say or something like that but you know it's you know it's whatever works for you really I think yeah definitely and I think another key point that you've kind of touched on there is communication and how different people communicate in different ways and different people will also understand that information in different ways and I wondered kind of how how you view communication in terms of combating the climate crisis is this something that you think we need to do more of in in conferences like COP or is it kind of being done already? Yeah I mean that's that's, that's a good one I mean I think the important thing around communication is, and you know especially working in an international role now that you know different cultures and different you know countries and different people have very different ways of, of communicating and, and, and approaches you have to take um you know so you know I like to have a, a kind of informal approach and I like to like you know have a bit of a joke and you know and that's fine in some cultures but if you tried that in Japan or something like that mm. You know, it wouldn't go down very well at all. You know, you've got a very structured way of um, engaging with people, you know, and, and, and things like that. I, I just had a sort of a bit of a teaching the other day from the uh, the British Embassy in Japan because it's a, the G7 is coming up and a lot of people are going over there to to support that. And they'll give you know, a whole lot of guidance of, you know, how to work with people in Japan, you know, and uh, what's respected and what's not. And, yeah. you know, and if you break any of these rules, you know it's really bad you know and uh you know, it could create, create a real problem so you kind of have to be really you know it's it's a classic understand your audience mm. uh and you understand it by you know or what, what you know understanding the culture but also you know you've got to listen I, I think that's the important thing as well and listening to the, the the other person and you know trying to understand their perspective you know I've, I've done stakeholder stuff for most of my career and you know the most important thing is you know being able to walk around in their shoes for a bit you know to, to coin a phrase but it is a little bit uh, if you take that step back and think about well, why would they be coming from this angle mm. then you've got a real opportunity well I can turn that around now and really think about you know if that's really important for them how can I make what's important to me important for you and if you, you know you can make those connections then that's you know that's a, that's a really good way forward yeah I guess if you go into an interaction with that l- lack of understanding of their culture or you kind of don't give them any incentive to respect you then you know that's that's not going to lead, lead to anything productive I guess. No that, that's right you know and you're just setting yourself up to fail you know you might get nods and smiles in the room but they're just going to walk away and that's it you know yeah. it's going to happen. you're not going to move forward you know so you know you do have to make you know, and you have to make those connections as well with people you know I say we're I'm working with India at the moment and it's very challenging to work, work with India at the moment because they're very they're very um they're very hard to get hold of and you know we're trying to build relationships you know like the advice i think you must build a relationship with these people but you know it's actually quite difficult when people don't turn up to calls and things like that so mm. we're trying to really work different ways and you know we are building you know we've got some key people out there and you know it's just little and often conversations and trying to build it up so we can you know move forward at, at their pace rather than at our pace but you know at least we can move forward so yeah it's definitely you've got to it's another string to my bow that I hadn't really had to lean on quite so much in previous roles, but they're definitely the different cultures and working with different governments, you know, uh, 
is, is different levels of bureaucracy and you know protocol that you might have to follow which you, you know in to an, a lay person you think this is just bonkers but mm. you know that's the way you, you have to do it to get stuff done yeah that's really interesting um i wonder if there's any other setbacks that have maybe like hindered progress in terms of reaching next zero i imagine there's probably countless different things that have kind of hindered progress um i remember when we spoke back in november we were talking about the cost of living crisis and liz Truss's fracking plans that have thankfully kind of gone back the other way but things like the war in ukraine as well how have these sorts of political events then hindered progress particularly like in an international um setting yeah i mean that's a good question really i think in the short term you know the problem with tackling climate change it's a long-term problem mm. and governments are always dealing with short-term problems so you look at the uk government we've had brexit we've had covid we've got the, the the war on ukraine we've got the cost of living crisis it's always an emergency mm. for a fire to be put out and whilst you know climate there is a climate emergency and it's becoming more and more apparent you know we've spent many years not really focusing on it because there's other things the government and all governments are doing um so that that's the constant challenge you know and i think human beings themselves aren't very good at long-term thinking mm. they are you know you deal with you know you're, you're, you're trained to find your next meal and you know and, and, and various things you don't think necessarily in the long term uh, and that and that's you know that's that's what we have to do but i think you know it's really interesting interesting you know tragic situation in, in ukraine and you know that's had has we've had reverberations in, in the climate space which are I would say quite interesting. So in the short term, you know, there's been a tightening of uh, energy supply. So high gas prices, which led to cost of living crisis in the UK and, and other parts of the world. Um, but that's making governments wake up to the reliance on fossil fuels. So on the one hand, it's painful and an emergency that the governments have got to deal with. And it's, it's costing money that could be better spent elsewhere. Mm. But it is actually then, you know, making them think much more strategically and in particular in Europe with a big dependence on uh, Russian gas about how they get off that quicker and the solution to that is getting onto renewables quicker and in order to get onto renewables quicker you need to have the grid infrastructure you need to have the renewables you need to have the supply chains to do that so you know in the long term positive will be that there will be more focused on delivering the the new infrastructure that we need to have a green green society and it's almost like this you know, this is like a, the, the kick that might help that. But the flip side to that as well, you, you, you know, countries are burning more coal because gas is so much more expensive. So actually coal comes back into play. So there's a mm. there's a negative as well. But, you know, I was reading a report yesterday and even with the you know reduction in gas going into Europe, the amount of additional coal burn has not increased as much as people were thinking because, you know that was being supplemented by wind wind in particular and we'd had a windy uh windy period you know so you know that gas burn was being offset by wind which is great and and longer term you know with more investment in wind and solar and and um you know other, other forms of renewables you know hopefully we'll be able to get off gas get off coal completely um and then you know, we will be setting ourselves up with an electricity system that's clean, which then can help us with, you know, the transport system and heating and, and things like that. So we've got 
um, a green back, a, a green clean backbone which will support other parts of our um, economy that uh, enables us to get to net zero by 2050, which is the you know the government's target. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I guess if we have the the grid that you're trying to put into place, then it kind of reduces that dependency on other countries because then maybe we'd have more to offer if we've got more energy coming in from things like the wind power. I know that that was specifically for for solar power, but even so, it's um, it's it's a nice way to balance things out, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't discriminate between different types of renewable okay. energy as well. To or solar and wind, you know, it's the same for us. You know, they are both. You know, the thing with them, they are weather dependent, um, and therefore you need other things to help balance them. Yeah. And, and sharing that across, you know, countries and regions allows you. Um, to share that energy better and so make better use of it um, and also you know um, increase security supply I mean you know this winter so far you know France have had France have been traditionally been a net exporter of energy because they've got a big nuclear fleet they've had problems with their nuclear plants this year they've had industrial action and so they've actually been a net importer because of the connections they've got with Europe with the UK mm. Um, and, you know, in fact, the UK has been supplying quite a lot of energy to France, which traditionally we, we've normally had energy from France over the, especially over the winter. So having those connections in place has, you know, enabled, um, you know, France to French, French people to have electricity when they need it. And, mm. you know, that, that market has worked. So and reduced, reduced some of the reliance on, on gas and, and, and some coal as well, because being able to share that energy. And that's, you know, that's one of the real benefits of you know, having more connectedness, you're, you're not, you know, you're not dependent, you're not independent, you're interdependent. And that's, yeah. I think that's really important for both sharing the energy, but also ultimately, you know, country to country relations as well. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting distinction between independence, dependence and interdependence. I don't know if I've thought about it like that before, but that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I wonder in terms of, we were kind of speaking about setbacks in terms of the climate crisis and your career, um, I wonder if the climate crisis affects you on a personal level, if you're happy kind of sharing this kind of detail. Have you ever experienced any overwhelm at the situation or any kind of feelings of hopelessness? Because I've spoken to people before who've been working in similar roles to you in, in the issue. And it's a big it's a big undertaking. It's a lot of um, a lot of thinking about the future and the kind of future we might have. Um, and I just wondered if you've ever experienced any personal setbacks in terms of that and how you've how you've managed to continue working and continue feeling hopeful for the future, if that's what you feel. Yeah, I don't think I've found any personal setbacks. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can feel, you know, immense, I guess, um, concern. I mean, I was at, a, at an event last year as, as part of COP and we were doing we were, we were working with a load of um, MPs from Africa and at a part of the event they stood up and each of them you know put up a slide about what was happening in their country and there was like floods and the famines and you know people relocating because of climate you know it's, it's, this is this is the climate impact on these people now mm. you know and that was you know and I you know I, I Took pictures of all these slides because it just you know it really brings it home to you i mean we you know we've had you know we have the odd storm here and, and, and the odd flood and 
you know, you know, if it's happened to you directly, you know, it's, you know, it could be really bad, but you know, nothing that's happened to me personally, uh, but actually you're seeing that and, you know, speaking to people and, you know, this guy from Djibouti was saying, look, we need help. You know, he said, how can you help me? It was almost like shaking me, you know, he said, mm. I want your help. I want your help. You know, we're, we're really struggling with this and, you know, and it's what, what can you, you do? And so when you see people like that, you go like, oh, wow, you know, it's really, really affecting you. And, you know, I'm like, do I feel do I feel hopeful or hopeless? I feel hopeful, but also, you know, the, the realist in me is we, as in the global community, are mm. not moving fast enough. We're not moving fast enough. We are, we're trying really hard with our project, and it's, you know, it's a great project. And, you know, in fact, in the last 12 months, I've seen attitudes change to the stuff that we're doing. So we're, we're having some effect. But, you know, it takes a long time to build electricity grids. It takes a long time to build some of these systems that we need to get off fossils, you know. And at the same time, you've got other countries still building coal-fired power plants, mm. you know. Well, they've got a 30-year life, you know. You know, somebody's put some money in that. They want to earn that money. You know, so how do you, how do you deal with that? And that's one of the things that, you know, we have this thing called the just energy transition, where, when countries are supported through their change, you know, part of it is if we're going to close coal, how do you look after the people whose lives are dependent on it and things like that? So there's all these other aspects that need to be considered um, and, and work through. But, you know, you've got to have a plan, you've got to have a strategy and you've got to find a way to bring the money in to do it. And so there's all these, there is a lot of challenge. Um, mm. But I personally don't think we've got a choice. Yeah. You well, know. that's it. It's all perspective, isn't it? You can choose yeah. to do nothing and think, oh, it's it's all like written down it's all written already you know there's nothing we can do to change it or you can look at it and think well it's a pretty bad situation but if no one does anything then nothing's going to happen absolutely and you know the you know people talk about sort of moonshots uh, and, and sort of war efforts and, and you know in reality it is you do need that level of focus but you, know, you look at what the you know the, the u.s you know space agency did you know into how quickly they got you know kennedy says i'm going to get a man in the moon before mm. the end of this decade he did you know it's like you know it's it's that kind of focus the challenge is that that was one country with its own yeah. resources that could do that we need all countries or most countries to line up and do that and you know some will be going further than others some will need a lot more help uh and you know as an international community you know uk has got a really important role to play in that that's that's one of the questions that you know sometimes we go oh why do we worry about our emission emissions they're such a small part mm. over the overall piece but the important thing is we are actually you know we're actually you know a global leader in this uh, and so we can set the standard and we can we can really push forward on some of these things also you know we've got a bit of a historic leg legacy here we invented the industrial revolution yeah. you know it's like we you know as, as you know so we've got you know we've got skin in the game here in terms of like we, we've got our legacy emissions are quite large you know they're not as big as you know china or the us or um you know some other countries but you know we're not we're not wiped to them white and so our current emissions whilst they might be quite low relatively we've got a bit of history mm. but also you know we we can bring a lot you know the city of london's got finance you know we can actually bring a lot to that change and so being a leader in that actually does enable other countries to to change and, and part of the cop 26 legacy is we spent a lot of time getting other countries to agree to stuff uh, and you know agree to work with each other and then you're kind of in this club where you know well i'm doing it you're doing it 
yeah. and, and that's and that's how these things work and then the people who aren't doing are the outliers and then they find it more difficult to trade with other countries so there is that you know that collaboration piece that that mm. starts to come forward but yeah so. yeah I love that I think that that's come through throughout this conversation of you explaining the international kind of cooperation side of things and I think it's so important and hopefully something that can continue um I'd like to finish if that's all right by asking you a question that I ask to everyone that I have on the podcast um which is what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given I knew this was coming actually it's one piece that I've I've I picked up, I can't remember where I picked it up from now, yeah. exactly, but, and I've given it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one, um, which is um, uh, keep the passion, lose the emotion. Uh, and that really is about, you know, finding out what you want to do and being passionate about it, but don't get out of control. Mm. And, you know, especially in, in the work environment, you know, you want to, you know, deliver, it, deliver things, but, you know, you, you can be dealing with emotional situations, whether it's climate change, whether it's, you know relationships at work and things like that and you know I, I, I came across this piece of advice and I thought that's right because you want to bottle the enthusiasm and the energy that people have but you've got to use it in a controlled way and I think that's 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 a really useful way of thinking about it and uh, yeah so that's my that's my bit of advice <laughs> I love it, the it passion, lose the emotion <laughs> I love it it kind of speaks to what you said at the start when I asked you ideas or action and you said you need both which yeah. I like it that's very cool well thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it and it's been such an interesting conversation so yeah thank you very much no, thank you